Revelation 7, 1 through 3. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, nor the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Revelation 7 goes on to describe this group. In verse 4, I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. If we look at this list of tribes in Revelation chapter 7, you see that it is similar but not identical to the list of tribes found in the Old Testament. One tribe that's left out is the tribe of Dan. In Genesis 49 verse 17, it was foretold of Dan, Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an adder in the path, that biteth the horse heels, so that his rider shall fall backward. Here we find it was foretold that Dan would forsake the God of Israel, that he would instead align himself with false religions that are led by Satan himself. And so Dan is left out. The tribe of Dan ended up forsaking God. Now it also mentions Ephraim. And in Hosea chapter 4, verse 17, it says, Ephraim is joined to his idols. Leave him alone. Again, the tribe of Ephraim, when the children of Israel went to go into the promised land, the tribe of Ephraim ended up mingling very much with the, the pagans that were around them. And ultimately, they joined in the false religions and forsook the God of Israel. Therefore, Dan and Ephraim are both left out of these 12 tribes. Instead, we find two new tribes added in. Now, one of them you may not think of as a new tribe. One that's listed is the tribe of Levi. Now, clearly in Israel, there were the Levites. But when the land was given to the children of Israel, when they went to the promised land, the Levites were not given a territory for themselves. Instead, what was the purpose and function of the Levites? They served as the priests, the ministers to the tribes. They were scattered throughout Israel to serve as ministers to the people. Now, here at the end, it describes them as being one of these tribes. We also find the tribe of Joseph is listed here. Now, in Israel, there was no tribe of Joseph. But here, filling the position of these two tribes that have been left out, God now adds in these two new tribes. Now, it becomes very clear to us as we study Scripture, it's very clear that we're dealing with a new Israel when we're talking about Israel here at the time of the end. You recall that Israel rejected God, 34 A.D., the stoning of Stephen, the final close of the... Uh, pardon of the children of Israel as being God's people. Instead, he raised up a new people. Uh, the Apostle Paul, Romans 2, 28 and 29, a man is not a Jew if he is one 
only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. And in Galatians 3.29, if you belong to Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we understand the Israel that's being described here is made up of all of those who are in Christ. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. And so we have this new Israel. Now the only other place that the 144,000 are mentioned by name, I mean specifically saying 144,000, here first we had in chapter 7, now we find in chapter 14. Now, I, I just mentioned, I, I mentioned uh, the number there, uh, not as anything real significant, but it's interesting. 7, we think of the number of completion. We find the 144,000 in chapter 7, and again in a multiple of 7 in chapter 14. But in chapter 14, uh, let me read here, starting with verse 1 of chapter 14, and read down through verse 5. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty-four thousand, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like a roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are they who did not defile themselves with women. Now in Sabbath school we talked about uh, what does a woman symbolize uh, in prophecy when we, when we look in prophecy. Yeah, Jeremiah 6 verse 2 makes it clear. A woman represents God's people. And so here, uh, they didn't defile themselves with women. Now, if you're going to be defiled with a woman, what kind of woman would you be defiled with? A defiled woman, a one who is not true to God. So these, spiritually, are holding on to truth. They have not been defiled by false religions. They have not been led astray. For they kept themselves pure. They followed the Lamb wherever He goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Now, I can recall as a 10-year-old boy, we lived in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, over western Kentucky. In fact, when we first moved there, I was seven uh, my dad had gone through medical school in Kansas City and uh, interned in Dallas, and then we moved to Western Kentucky. Elder Pearson had been the president of this conference, and uh, he was looking for physicians who would come and go into counties or places where we didn't have a church. And, uh, and so we moved to Western Kentucky. When we first got there, I, I, I noticed on the license plates, now I was an eight-year-old boy, and on the license plate, I thought it interesting. It actually had that these people were Christians. 
Now, later I found out some others were Todd's and some Triggs and some Whitley, and that was the county. That was the county. Uh, but I was impressed that, that we had moved to a Christian county. But as a 10-year-old, two years later, Elder Rainey Hooper, who was a conference evangelist, came to Hopkinsville. He put up a tent on Fort Campbell Boulevard, put the sawdust down, had those old wooden folding chairs, and, and he held a long series of meetings. Now, our family were already Adventists, but we were certainly there to support the meetings, and we were thrilled to see people coming, and people were showing a real interest in learning about the three angels' messages. And I remember on a particular night, Elder Hooper got up and he, he preached on the 144,000. Now, as a 10-year-old boy, on the way home, I was very concerned. And I, I told my, my mom and dad, I said, I'm scared. They said, well, what are you scared of? And I said, I heard the preacher say tonight that when Jesus comes, only 144,000 people that are alive are going to be ready to go to heaven. And I said, there are already more than 144,000 Seventh-day Adventists. And that means for every person who joins the church, somebody's getting pushed out. It might be me. I, I was serious. I was concerned. You know, one of those people joining the church might be taking my place. Now, I wanted them to join the church. But I didn't want to lose out. Now, I have some good news this morning, which I think you already know. The Bible does not teach that only 144,000 individuals will be ready when Christ returns. You see, immediately after listing the 144,000, I want you to turn back to chapter 7 again. After talking about the 144,000 from Israel, spiritual Israel, the Bible goes on to describe another group of individuals. And let me say from the outset, I realize there are those who will preach and that will tell you that these two groups are the same group. That, that let's tell you, they said, you know, here, when John herds them, here's the number, he hears 144,000. But then when he looks, he sees a great multitude that no one can number. But I want us, I think it's important that we take the Bible as it reads and that we allow it to identify for itself. It says 144,000 are from spiritual Israel. Notice, starting in verse 9, and after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, all from Israel. Is that what it says? No, it says from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and around the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen. Notice the number of things they say. Praise and glory 
and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength. Seven different attributes. You know, I can't think of any more that you could give to God than what's already listed there. It is giving Him all praise, all worship, all things. Then it says, uh, to be, be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You see, he describes clearly this second group is a harvest of souls that have come out from every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. We talked in Sabbath school. Brother Bruce shared to us about going to the Methodist church and about the fervent prayers that were going up from sincere, honest Christian people. We are privileged and blessed that the Holy Spirit has brought conviction to our hearts in regard to the Sabbath, to the state of the dead, to the heavenly sanctuary. You know, these pillars of our faith that are so grounded in Scripture. But there are many, many faithful people that love the Lord with all their heart that have not yet seen some of those things. But we serve a God who says, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into partial truth. Is that what He says? He says He'll guide you into all truth. That's a promise for all of His people, regardless of where they are today. Regardless of where they are. Now, Daniel 12, verse 1 and 2, and Matthew 24, 21, very clearly talks about a great tribulation. Remember John says here, he wrote, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. Daniel 12, 1 and 2 describes that Michael will stand up and there will be a time of trouble such as the world has never seen, never to be repeated again. He's describing that in the context of closing events. And Jesus in Matthew 24, describing closing events, describes a time of trouble such as has never been. Now, does that give us cause to fear? No. It gives us cause that as that time of trouble comes, our faith, even though the house is burning down, we can say, Lord, I know you had a purpose. And so when the trouble comes, we can hold clearly onto God. Now, again, at the time of Christ's first coming, he selected those 12 disciples. He had a purpose for them to fulfill. And before leaving them, there in Acts, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he had told them to go and to pray. But he said that when they received the Holy Spirit, that they would become his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Started where they were. But the message was to go throughout the world. That was their purpose. That was their purpose. Now, if you go back to, to Joel, Joel to, at chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, we find there in Joel, go back to Joel chapter 2, 
Now, earlier in that chapter, actually down in, in verse 23, he talks about early and latter rains. Uh, in the New International Version, it calls it the autumn and the spring rains. But let me ask you, I don't know if we have any farmers here, anyone that plants a garden, but I see a number of hands. What is the purpose of the early rain? You plant the seed, what do you want to happen? You need the rain to germinate the seed. If the, if the seed stays dry, nothing happens, right? And so there's an early rain that comes to germinate and, and the plants begin to grow. But as the harvest draws near, you want rain to come to fill out the ear of corn or the head of grain. You want the rain to, to finish the crop's growth so that it's ready to harvest, right? And so here in Joel 2, he talks about an early and a latter rain. And then in verse 28, he says, And afterward I will pour out my Spirit on all, all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Now, what do we call people that prophesy? We call them prophets, don't we? Then he says, Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions. Numbers 12, verse 6 says, If there's a prophet among you, I'll reveal myself to him in visions and in dreams. And so here Joel is describing the prophetic gift. Okay? Talks about them prophesying, having visions and dreams. And then he says, Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now, when we look at Apocalyptic prophecy, prophecies that are relating to end times. We notice events are given in the order they occur. Look back at Daniel chapter 2. You know, we learn from the prophecies of Daniel many rules of how prophecy works. And we notice in Daniel chapter 2, he starts out the image with the head of gold, then he has the breast of silver. You know, the kingdoms come in the order that are given there. And here in, in this passage, this is a nutshell picture of closing events. It says he's going to pour out his spirit, and then he says, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And then in verse 32, he gives us a wonderful promise. We think about those people in other churches, in other religions, and some who have no religion at all but are honestly believing there isn't a God. But he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will consider for salvation. Is that what he says? No. They shall be saved. And so as a result of this outpouring of his Spirit, there is going to be a harvest that John very clearly said is a multitude that you can't even number from every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Now, I'm going to revert for a second, back a second again about the 12 tribes. And I'm, let me say this, I'm not, I'm not stating this as any kind of fact or anything I could prove to anyone. I just wonder. I wonder, okay? You know, you can wonder. I wonder if in God's psychology, if perhaps there are 12 
different personalities. I want you to look. He chose to have the 12 tribes. He chose 12 disciples. Which two of the disciples were alike? You know, every one of them was different. You know, you take Peter, you take John, you, can, you go down through the, the doubting Thomas. Uh, I, I wonder if God is, is making it clear to us uh, He's not dependent upon your personality or your particular natural gifts that you have to determine whether or not He can use you. You know, I, I, I look back Looking through the Bible from cover to cover, how many prophets do you find in the Bible that submitted a resume? You know, he picked shepherds. He picked, uh, you know, he picked, you know, you look at the people that he picked as prophets. Generally, they were very humble individuals that he called from different walks of life and said, I want to use you. And I think back at the founding of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. You know, God first called a couple men that, that did not accept the prophetic gift. But then, who did He choose? A 17-year-old girl with a third-grade education at a time when there were others educationally and even mentally, who you can see as, as perhaps people that you would have chosen if you were the one doing the interviewing process. You know, I think back to our first missionary that we sent out from America, J.N. Andrews, sent to Switzerland. Probably one of the most brilliant people, maybe one of the most brilliant people this earth has seen. No, he wasn't a great inventor. But J.N. Andrews, by his personal testimony, said, if you should take my Bible from me, I could rewrite for you the entire New Testament from memory. I can't fathom that. You know, I, I struggle at times to, to commit one verse to memory without looking to see what's the next word. But God didn't choose J.N. Andrews to be a prophet. You, you look at Joseph Bates, you know, heralded the Sabbath in, in such a strong way. God didn't choose him as a prophet. You think of James White, the husband of a prophet. God didn't make him a prophet instead. You know, God chooses who he will use and give the prophetic gift to. And Ellen White in one place talks about the final work being completed, not by men trained in a literary institution, but men from the field and the plow. People that some may say, who are you to tell me what God says? But filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember what, what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 to the disciples? When you receive the Holy Spirit, then you will be my witnesses. Then I can use you. Then I can use you to fulfill my purpose. Now, this intrigued me. A few years ago, I, I decided to do a word search. Now, at the time, I didn't have a regular computer. I did have one of these little electronic Bibles. And so, you know, you can put in words. They'll show you all the texts in the Bible that have those words in them. And so I went, went there, and first I put in the words servant and saints. 
said, how many texts in the Bible talk about servants and saints? In the whole Bible, there's only three texts, three verses that reference both servants and saints in the same uh, same verse. And all three, they're they're clearly they're clearly uh, uh, different different people. I I had scribbled those down just on a piece of paper here as I as I went through the the texts that are there. Uh, clearly, the saints and the servants are two different groups. Then I said, well, what what if I put in saints and prophets? So I put in saints and prophets. And this time the number went up. There are four verses that talk about saints and prophets. But in those texts as well, the saints and prophets are clearly two different groups. They're the saints, they're the prophets. Then I put in servants and prophets. 22 texts came up. One of those was on Mount Carmel where it described when Elijah was there and it talked about the servants of Baal, all his prophets. So here we're dealing with some false prophets. They're called the servants of the prophets. Of the other 21 texts, I think it was all but one of them, specifically talked about God's servants, the prophets. Uh, surely the Lord God will do nothing without revealing his secrets to whom? To his servants, the prophets. Now, looking back again, at Revelation chapter 7, where it's talking about these 144,000, talks about putting a seal on the forehead of his servants. Do a word study on sealing. The, the sealing is a work that is always done by whom? By God, by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit places a seal on his people. Now here he talks about do not... Do not harm the lands or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the forehead of the servants of our God. I believe here what he is describing is the recipients of the latter rain. Now you remember in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, there was the early rain. What was the purpose of that early rain then? to germinate the seed that the gospel would start being spread from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the world. And God brought together people from throughout the world to be there for Pentecost and to carry the message back to where they had come from, the message about Jesus Christ. And so on that day, Acts chapter 2, we find Peter is almost quoting... Joel chapter 2. In fact, in, there in Acts chapter 2, he makes that statement. You know, here the, uh, there were those who thought that those who were, uh, were speaking in tongues, now they were speaking in their own native tongue, but people were hearing them in their tongue. But here, when Peter started speaking and told them, no, these men are not drunk, he says in Acts 2 verse 16, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he says, in the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit. Now, Joel had said, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit. He didn't say the last days. And we find there was an outpouring the Pentecost. But there was also the latter rain in the last days. And you say, why, why is Peter saying that this is fulfilling the part about the last days? If you turn back a page in your Bible to the last chapter of John... We find something interesting taking place. You remember 
Peter had denied Christ how many times? Three times. And so three times, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And the third time, uh, in verse 17 of chapter 21, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, Jesus went on to say, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter was so much like us. Notice what Peter did next. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Who's the disciple Jesus loved? John, the one who was writing these words. He just didn't put his name in here. And uh, Peter saw him and said, Lord, what about him? Now I can remember as a boy, there were times that my mom said to me, uh, Steve, I want you to go put out the trash. My first inclination was, well, what are you going to tell Bob to do? You know, what's he going to do? You know, you want to equalize things a little bit. And so Peter says, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, verse 22, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, verse 23 says, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Now I just wonder if that statement from Jesus about John caused Peter to think, well, we must be approaching the last days because uh, John's going to stay alive, but I'm going to have to die. And, and so he changed the words only slightly to say, talk about the last days. Now, at the end, I believe the 144,000, look about the servants, the prophets. Here it says, don't harm the earth, the sea, or the trees until I put a seal, work of the Holy Spirit, on my servants. 144,000 in number. You know, Jesus started out with the spread of the gospel with his 12 disciples. 144,000 is 12 times 12 times 1,000. And I know many people will say, well, I think that's you know, just a symbolic number, 144,000. You know, there were literally 12 disciples. I believe when the Bible says the Holy City is going to have 12 foundations and 12 gates, I believe He's given us a number because there is a number. Uh, you know, that's not a hill I would die on. God can choose however He wants. But when He says 144,000, I believe God is able with 144,000 individuals he chooses to be his mouthpiece to the world before the close of probation. And how do we know this is before the close of probation? Remember in Joel when it describes the outpouring, then it describes terrible events which equate to that great time of trouble that Jesus and Daniel both referenced. 
Verse 32 said, And they that call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, during that time of the outpouring of the latter rain, there's a purpose for that sealing. There's a purpose for them receiving the special gift of the Holy Spirit. It's that the gospel can be carried to all the world and all people can be convicted of truth and come to understand what is truth so that they can make that choice that Roger mentioned. It's when everyone makes their choice. It's not a matter of God arbitrarily pulling down a curtain and saying, it's too late, I'm sorry someone didn't hear. You know, when uh, when the Bible tells us clearly, clearly the gospel of the kingdom will be carried to all the world for a witness unto all people, and then the end will come. When it says it's going to be carried to all people, I believe it means what it says. You know, Ellen White, October 31, 1899, proclaimed the first, second, and third angels' messages are to be repeated. You know, they, they were proclaimed by the founders of our church. But I can tell you, if today, if I went downtown Nashville and stood on the street corner and start proclaiming the three angels' messages, it probably wouldn't take very long before someone would come to take me away as a crazy person standing on the corner. But the time will come. Because of the circumstances in our world, I believe it's, it's, it's that time of trouble, the trouble that will be falling on the world will cause people to realign their attention and instead of the most important thing being their golf game, and there's nothing wrong with golf as long as it doesn't come to God, but the events will take place that all of a sudden people will be open to hear the gospel presentation by those who are filled with the Holy Spirit proclaiming God's Word in its entirety in order to bring people to Christ. Uh, you know, I, I think that we as Seventh-day Adventist Christians have been blessed to hear the messages we've heard. But as Helen White said, we need to continue being students of the Scriptures while we await the second coming of the Lord. She makes, she makes the statements in councils to writers and editors. Those who think they will never have to change an opinion will be disappointed. She said we have many lessons to learn and many, many to unlearn. She says the pillars are firm. The Sabbath, the state of the dead, the sanctuary, the second coming. Those the pillars are firm. But she says, we do have more to learn. Are we open to study the Scriptures and to learn so that we do not become deceived or we do not you know, come to the end and all of a sudden... You know, I, I can remember again as a boy thinking, well, the, the next thing's going to happen is going to be some Sunday laws. And when that happens... All the Adventists can say, okay, it's time to get ourselves in order and then we'll run into the woods and we're going to hide and then we're going to be delivered. You know, time of trouble is not a really big deal because we know we will be delivered. But as I study God's Word more, you know, the disciples, when filled with the Holy Spirit, did they run and hide? No, they went out to proclaim about Jesus, the Savior of the world. Those who are empowered with God's Holy Spirit will not be running to hide. They'll be running to tell people about what is coming. That Christ, these troubles befalling the earth, 
are here out of God's mercy to get their attention so that they will listen to the gospel presentation. God wants to awaken the world. Now, am I saying that only those who are filled with the Holy Spirit are the only ones that God is going to use? You know, I think back the story of, of the children of Israel when they were, were fighting the Amalekites. You remember, Moses went up on the mountain and so he could see the battle taking place down on the plain. And it tells us, there, there in, in, in uh, Exodus, it tells us that as long as his hands were held up, what was happening? Israel was victorious. They were winning the battle. Uh, but then, Exodus chapter 17 tells us that, that when his arms became weary and his hands fell down, what happened? The battle turned and, and the children of Israel were starting to be defeated. And so it was at that point that Aaron and Hur ran up the mountain. And what did they do? They held up the hands of Moses. And as they did so, the battle was completed. And the children of Israel, by the blessing of God, were victorious. You see, I believe at the end, now Moses was, was the prophet there for them. But there were others that upheld his hand. You know, God can choose who he wants to be his servants, the prophets. He can choose who he wants to use to carry that final message. And by the way, I, I used to wonder, how's God going to get the message to the people like in Saudi Arabia or some of these countries where, where you're not even allowed to mention the name of Christ? But then I, I think about uh, Philip. When Philip was going down the road and he looked up and he saw he saw the treasure riding in a chariot, reading from the book of Isaiah, and he said, you know, I don't understand what I'm reading. And God used Philip to explain to him about Jesus Christ, and then that the this treasure said, what's to prevent me from being baptized? And he took him down in the river and he immersed him in baptism. And he went on his way rejoicing, carrying the gospel message back to his kingdom. You know, God may choose a number of you to be among those 144,000 that he will fill with his spirit to accomplish his purpose. And he may say, I, I need you in India, or I need you in Saudi Arabia, and you don't have to catch an airline, so I'm going to set you down there. And you can be speaking in English, and they'll hear it in their language. You know, God will accomplish his purpose however he chooses to do it. But the whole world will be lightened with his glory, and the whole world will hear, hear the gospel message. And that final, that final message will go out into all the world. Now, Matthew 24, 14 is very clear. In this gospel, the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, often when we hear that text quoted, we say that we, we almost imply that we have the power to hold God hostage. That until... Until we get the gospel of the whole world, God cannot come. But I'm reminded also in Acts chapter 1, when the disciples were asking Jesus about when will these things be when he had described uh, 
you know how that he would come again they want to know when will these things be and he told them no one knows I don't even know only the father knows he says the father knows the time he has appointed he has an appointed time you know Jesus was born it says and, and, and when the time was come God sent forth his son you know Daniel chapter 9 had foretold the time for the birth of Christ and when it was time he came and I believe that God knows he knows the end from the beginning. And he knows when he's going to come again. And he is not dependent upon us. He's dependent on the outpouring of his spirit. And he, when he says in this gospel, the kingdom will be preached in all the world. I don't think that that's a conditional statement. I think it's a declarative statement that the gospel will be preached. And it, in his timing, it will happen. And when we look at the world around us today, I can't help but believe that that time is, that we're living on the threshold of eternity when God is going to pour out His Spirit. And as a result, Ellen White talks about Sunday laws coming as a result of the trouble that's falling on the world. Sunday laws, I don't think, precede. I think they come in the midst of that time of trouble because of the time of trouble. That people are saying, what can we do to stop this trouble? How can we appease God? And it's at that point they say, if we all will worship in the same way, if we'll all come together, well, then God will stop this and there's going to be a group of people that cling to their Bible. These are they who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus, the gift of prophecy. They're blessed with the outpouring of God's Spirit and are proclaiming his entire word and the gospel will be preached in all the world not by might not by power but by my spirit Zechariah 4 verse 6 for those of us who may not be the recipients of that outpouring and be chosen as prophets we can have the privilege of being those who will hold up the hands of the prophets. We can still proclaim the message and, and we can preach God's word. Even as Joseph Bates and J.N. Andrews and the faithful early Adventists continue to proclaim the word while Ellen White received the prophetic gift and elaborated upon the word. I just pray that we all will be faithful and say, Lord, I'm willing to be used however you choose to use me. I'm not dependent upon my own gifts, my own talents, my own abilities. I'm only dependent upon my availability. God's not looking for those with abilities. He's looking for those who are available. It's our availability to be used by Him, as were those disciples, that will allow God to use us in whatever capacity he might choose. And today we can all proclaim our willingness to be used in our closing song, hymn number 567. And we say, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. I just pray that that will be the response of all of our hearts, not only today, but every day as the coming of Christ is drawing near and near. Father, we thank you for this message. We don't know the future, but we know who holds the future. So help us to be filled with your spirit, as the song says, so that uh, we may depart 
this time, at this point, to serve you today and every day. In Jesus' holy name, amen.